Hey, what's up? How's it going? Welcome back to Hungry for Apples with your host, Farron. I have a very special episode for you. You know I don't do that many interviews, and I get really excited when I do one. So that's what you have this week. And this interview is with a longtime friend, Uli Bea, and he is a main member a founding member of the band Ozo Motley. But this episode is not just about the band. This is about experiences, international experiences as a musician that he's had. And also there's some really good advice in here for young musicians. I'm really excited about this episode. I hope you enjoy it. Please, please, please send me any questions or anything that you have. Hungry for Apples Podcast at gmail.com. All right, thanks for being here. Enjoy the show. Hi. Before hello, we get hello. started talking, do you have anything that you want to share? Um, don't you have an album coming out? Or didn't it, yeah, an album come yeah, out? Uh, Ozo Mali has a new album coming out July 15th called Marching On. We've been releasing singles here and there. Uh, That's what have, I saw. Yeah, we have Mi Destino, this album, this, uh, this one, uh, one cut with Be Real and Gabby Moreno, Be Real from Cypress Hill. We have a uh, you know, we've released like at least three or four different singles, and all of them coming from the album, but the official album drop is July 15th. Awesome. That's really cool. I wasn't sure what was going on because I've only seen a little bit on social media. I'm glad that I asked. So I have it. I have that mm-hmm. in my mind now. That's cool. Um, one of the main things that I'm so inspired by from you, besides the fact that I've known you my whole life at this point, is your the staying power of the band the mm-hmm. the fact that y'all have gotten along this long is pretty amazing is there anything you have to say about that i mean you know the running joke in the band is that the band is the longest relationship any one of us has ever been in <laughs> i think you i've know? heard that joke <laughs> yeah and um not for nothing, it is probably one of our biggest accomplishments because um, most bands, you're lucky if you last five years, you know, or 10 years, let alone now we're in our 27th year. I was trying so, to figure that out this morning. I was like, is it 27? Is it 30? Yeah, like I'm doing the math. <laughs> and I was in college when I quit college to join this band. And I haven't looked back, you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's crazy that, um, we're still able not only to be a band and create music together, but you know, not for nothing. We don't hate each other's fucking guts. You know what I mean? It's like, we can still have dinner together and make each other laugh and you know, and, and, 
you know, at this point we're family. And at this point too, it's like, we know each other's flaws and we know each other's shortcomings. So, um, in certain ways, when one of us fucks up or does acts a certain way, you know, it's like almost like, Oh, that's him, you know? And so, um, it's probably one of our biggest accomplishments, honestly, is that we're still a band and we're still creating. Yeah, for sure. It's a super amazing accomplishment, especially for, for someone like me that's seen pretty much the whole arc from when you, when I first saw you play, there were how many people, 15 people in the, in the group? How much? Uh, yeah. I would. Do, do you remember when, where it was the first time you saw us play? Santa Barbara. I don't know. I, I want to say uh, 98. Okay. okay. I think. I'm yeah. not sure. Maybe 99. I really don't remember. It's a little easy. But I remember there was just, even at the Fillmore, when you first started here, there was a, mm-hmm. a, a bigger group. And it's the when the core group, when you guys became that core group, was when I visually saw what the family was, like what you were just talking about, that accomplishment. It was like I could see it kind of starting out in a way mm-hmm. once you got to that point. And I feel like that's, it, it, it's real. First of all, from my perspective, it's beautiful to see because I've been in the arts my whole life and it's just, it's, you don't you you don't see that. That's not a mm-hmm. common thing. Is there a big lesson from that that you've learned, like some kind of a life lesson or something kind of some kind of a takeaway? Um, um, is there to, any life lesson to be taken away from it? Is that like um, communication is something that needs to be practiced, and that like. You know, when we first started, we were, we were already going through all kinds of problems and some heavy ones. And, and uh, you know, our manager at the time, Amy. I remember uh, her. Had, she was so cool. Yeah, suggest, yeah and I still, I'm still in contact with her, even though she doesn't manage the band anymore. But I remember her suggesting therapy, group therapy, you know. And, you know, at that point, you know, none of us were trying to hear that shit. But, <laughs> you know, but, but. We did it, we did it, and we continued with it with different therapists, different incarnations of the group, and not for nothing, it it set us up with the skills to at least be able to, when we do have problems with each other, that we can address them in a healthy way, you know, whether it's meeting together and being like, hey, you know, you know, I didn't like how this went down or whatever the fuck. You know, so because of those skills, we were able to survive, you know, that's like one of the biggest things that helped us survive was um, learning those communication skills and those kind of um, um, tools that you need to, you know, break down any kind of disagreements, break conflict resolution, you know. Yeah, exactly that, conflict resolution. So um, if there's, yeah, there's one thing that we kind of, you know, use and learn from that. And because of that, it's like, you know, 
to me, having somebody mediate the conflict or have a therapist or whatever there, a life coach, whatever you want to call them, I'm not afraid of that anymore in the sense of like, I don't feel threatened by that um, or feel like, oh, why do we need that or any of those kind of like feelings, you know? So um, did you feel that in the beginning? Oh, I mean, well, yeah, in the beginning, because you're, I was, we were all early 20 something dudes and, you know, our mentality was, you know, like, do your fucking gig, you know, man up, (laughs) shut the fuck up and do your gig or whatever, whatever the fucking problem was, was just like, yo, like what, you know, why or, you know, whatever we were going through is just like, dude, just, you know, do your job, homie. But um, there was certain things that we dealt with as a band that were way more beyond than just manning up or, or whatever kind of like, just kind of like just toxic fucking energy that we had inside of ourselves, you know? So yeah, you know, it's it, 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 obviously for the better, we're still here and we're still able to talk to each other in a certain way that we can challenge each other and yet not, it not go to complete hell, you know? That's awesome. I have a question. Were there other bands doing this? Because I've talked to a lot of artists and a lot of musicians, and I've never had anybody bring up group therapy. And I'm uh, sure, I mean, I, it must happen, but. I, I, you know what? We were doing it way before. I remember that Metallica movie came out, and everybody was like, oh my God, they're going to I was like, shit, we've been doing that for years. If I know of other bands that kind of like were as proactive as we were about it. And I know that I've, 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 I've suggested it to other bands. You know, I know other people in other bands that have, you know, deep, deep, deep rooted problems that are, are festering, you know, in their, in their organization that I've told them, I was like, dude, you know, maybe you need an, a mediator. You know, I don't even use the word therapist because yeah, sometimes yeah. it scares people off. I was like, maybe you guys need a, an impartial mediator to get in between you guys and like listen to our... Shit, you just broke up a little bit. And I- maybe call people out on their shit. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, I got you. Okay. Yeah, I was I was saying like maybe you might need somebody to call people out on their shit and to and to help foster an environment of 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 resolution, you know. Are they listening to you? Have any of the other bands gone forward with that? Uh, I think one of the friends that I remember mentioning, I think they they were kind of yes, they were They were thinking about it. Thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, being in the creative world so long, it seems yeah. like this should be something more talked about. I feel like this it's really cool that you bring this to people that you know because, I mean, you know they didn't tell us any of this kind of stuff in high school, you know, in high school for the arts, uh, you know what I'm saying? And they were supposed to be prepping us, so <laughs> it's interesting. I, I feel like it should just be there, just this idea of yeah. wellness in the group. You know, I mean, at the same time, you know, in high school, you know, I mean, they're just trying to, I don't, you know, at this, like, I, I, I guess 
I don't know if they were trying to foster just you as an individual artist and just kind of promoting what you do, you know, to knowing that like sooner or later, this person might have to work in a collective of some sorts or a group that maybe it'd be good to have them have those group skills. Like, I don't know if they were thinking about that. Oh, no, not at all. You know, for so, you more maybe you know, than us, you know, more for musicians. Well, yeah, because, and- yeah, because musicians usually, you know, very few musicians just play by themselves, you know, it's just me, you know, and like, you know, usually you have to like learn how to play with others, you know, in a certain yeah. way. It's Whereas kind of like the point. Maybe an artist, or maybe as a visual artist, you could be more kind of like, I don't need to depend on anybody else but myself to put, to, to have that output, you know? In, yeah, for the, having the output, but in order to get it anywhere, you you do you you yeah. So it's yeah, like you, yeah, you, at yeah, some you, point, no matter what. Yeah, 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 yeah. True that. I mean, at this at, at the end of the day, you need a certain amount of level of people skills and social skills to be able to sell yourself, to be able to promote yourself. Because how many people do you know that were amazing musicians or artists? that were really fucking good that, but for whatever reason, either socially or in their skills or they were just assholes. <laughs> Are we talking about me? <laughs> no, no, no. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I get I'm, what you I'm mean. I'm saying like, you know, just like where, where they just could never get out of the hole of like, why ain't I the person? You no, know, it's like, true. Because, you know, like those are the ones that end up in obscurity. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. there's so many musicians that I know that, like, honestly, they, they should be somewhere else. But for whatever reason, they're not there because, you know, they were unable to either communicate or to sell themselves or just to appeal to other people. You know what I mean? Some of them like, can't have a conversation. Right. Right. And um, if there's one thing that I've learned in it's past couple years especially with the quarantine and everything with the pandemic and me just trying to connect with the fans online is that like it's beyond just your music and your personality it's like fans are investing in you they want to know what what makes you tick yeah so they so they're investing in you as an, an individual so the more you can like communicate with those fans in a certain level the more they feel invested in you and the more they want to um, basically support you, you know? Yeah, it gives them something to care about. Exactly. Or something to connect to. And also, exactly, to care about, to connect to, to look forward to, to have some sort of routine with, all that. You know, like, I say certain things online that, like, you know, later people will hit me up in the direct messages and be like, oh my God, you brought that up and it meant so much to me. And I was like, oh really? Like I was bringing shit up, like whatever. But at that moment, it was actually resonating in people's souls. And that's the kind of thing that like, that I'm, you know, that, I mean, I always knew that that people invest in you in a certain way as an artist, but especially with now with social media, it's like extra, extra that like people now want, that 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 insight into what makes you tick and that insight to how they can like bond with you you know yeah they're looking for all kinds of stuff and um and 
and it's very interesting uh, to see what the different things are that connect people because it's usually not what you'd think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. It's usually something totally uh, out and left field and mm-hmm. which isn't bad. Like it's not a complaint. It's just that I feel like a lot of people um, can acknowledge that they don't know exactly why they're doing certain things until they connect like that, which I think is actually mm-hmm. really cool. Um, yeah. So let's see. Creativity. How did you, I was about to ask about the Fulbright thing that the band did. Um, do you want to say anything about that? Uh, About, uh, what in particular? Didn't you go on a Fulbright tour? Oh, um, well, actually, we were, like, uh, cultural ambassadors for a minute, you know, and um, so we were touring places and going to countries that, like, bands don't really go to, you know. Like where? Um, our first big trip was Nepal and India, and after that, the success of that one, we ended up going to, let's see, I'll just go down the list of like places that we've gone to with this or, uh, in, in the, in that span, we went to Madagascar. We went to Tunisia, Egypt, um, Jordan. That was a North African tour. Uh, we went to, uh, Myanmar. We went to Indonesia. We went to, uh, Thailand. Um, in South America, we went to Argentina and Brazil and Chile, uh, went to Lithuania, uh, <laughs> we went to Mongolia, which was a trip, China and Mongolia trip. And, um, yeah, like some of these places, they, like no American band had ever played there. You right. Know? Which place so, had the biggest response? I'm just curious. Uh, there's a couple of them, I would say, as far as crowds are concerned. Yeah. Um, Nepal was one of the big ones because at the time when we showed up there, there was a ceasefire between the government and, and, and the, and the Maoist rebels. So, I mean, not to say that it was all peachy. There was still quite a shit, a lot of shit going on, but, you know, um, no one knew who the fuck we were at, in Nepal. Like maybe five people. Yeah. So the only thing that people knew is that some American band was going to come through and play for free. And it's you guys. <laughs> and it's us, you know. And, and, you know, we played in this huge field that usually is like, like reserved for huge demonstrations. And um, someone, had, like there was over 10,000 people there. They were like, this is the biggest congregation of people outside of any kind of political activity that's happened. Wow. People showed up. And the crazy shit is I remember showing up and the barrier for the crowd was like over a hundred feet away from the stage. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? And they were just like, well, look, dude, if the crowd doesn't dig your shit or if there's too many technical difficulties or they're just like not, you know, feeling it, they'll just start throwing shit at you. And we're (laughs) like, oh shit. Oh my God. Mexico City part two. So, but then we, we actually negotiated for the barrier to be a little closer, like 50 feet closer and everybody dug it and everybody had a good time. And, 
Um, the other one that was kind of crazy was we, when we played in Mongolia, in Ulaanbaatar. So this was during the age of Facebook, right? Where you had to put, you know, where you're going to, where you're at. And Facebook at the time, you know, um, when, when we said we were in Ulaanbaatar, it had a default thing. I remember this. Yeah, it said we were in China. So Bad. when Mongolian people saw that, they lost their fucking shit. Yeah, they, they don't like really, that. <laughs> they, they hate, they already no, hate China. It's the, not the, good. The, you know, the Chinese and China. And to the point where it's like, it was, someone told me like, if you give somebody a gift, make sure it's not made in China. I was like, it's oh, true. Shit, okay. Yeah. So when the, when Mongolian cats saw that shit, they fucking flipped their lid and people were threatening us. Like people were like, if you guys try to play here, we're going to fuck you up and throw shit at you and just like, don't like leave and just and of course, like, it's like, duh, we know we're in Mongolia. We're, you know, we're, we know we're not in China. This was like, like some snafu that happened digitally on the website that fucked our shit up. So we had to like do a bunch of damage control and issue out press releases. And, and we ended up starting right there in the middle of, I mean, you've been there. There's a huge square in the middle of Ulaanbaatar where they have yeah. a huge, Chinggis Han statue overlooking the square. And we ended up starting the show jamming with Mongolian musicians, like throat singers and stuff. That way to kind of like be basically be like, yo, like, you know, this isn't like about like, you know, this is about collaboration. This is about us um, appreciating your culture and, 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 and coming here to, to soak it all in. You know, we know we're not in fucking China, you know? <laughs> so, Just so that, that worked? That, oh, yeah. And it was like over 15,000 people there and it ended up going off, you know? So it was a good show. They go off and there. They, yeah, they, yeah, they did yeah. go off, you know? And uh, we had a good time there. So, yeah, there moments like that, um, you know, we've had a few, but I would say those were the two biggest crowds that we pulled uh, during our cultural ambassador kind of run. When you went to all of these places, did you tour spiritual locations like temples and stuff like that? Or did you not have time to? Yeah. Yeah. We would go to, you know, um, usually what it involved was um, we would do outreach stuff. So, you, you know, go to schools for music for kids or go to orphanages, group homes, you name it, like just stuff that we would do, outreach stuff, and then plan a free show, you know, an outdoor free show for everybody to show up and, and, and enjoy the music. And in between that time, try to do as much kind of touristy stuff that we could do, go to temples, go to museums, uh, go just check out the scene, go hang out with locals, try local food, listen to local music, you know, which area um, had the most go. impression of that um, for you? It's hard to gauge. It's hard to gauge because all of these places were really special in one way or another. Yeah. Had like, but I would say that like musically speaking, I would say either India or North Africa were two big ones because those were places where I actually like made an effort to go to like music stores. I remember I was in Alexandria 
Egypt and walking by this music store and I was just like, I'm going to go buy some music, you know, but I, you know, I don't know what the fuck to buy, you know, in certain ways. So I remember sitting there with the shop owner smoking cigarettes and him just being like, you like this? Playing me stuff. You like this? You like this? Okay. I like that. I don't like that one. Okay. Let me get that one. And then like seeing some young kids in the store and I was just like, kind of like, what are you buying? Let me hear what you're buying, you know? Oh, awesome. And, and then, and then coming home with like, you know, I mean, at the time it was mostly CDs and then just like spending months trying to, um, you know, marinate on them, you know, listening to it. You know, um, I did that too in, in, in India quite a bit, bought a lot of music from India um, to, to, to bring home, you know? So do you, do you think that that, those times influenced the future music a lot. You bringing in having so much ex new exposure because it was a, oh, over sure. a short amount of time. It was they, oh, these sure. trips were pretty close together, yeah, weren't they? Like any any music that I consumed on the road like that ended up influencing the band one way or the other. I mean, it's just impossible not, not to be influenced, right? You know, because. At the end of the day, music is one of those things that you're never going to know everything, ever, ever, ever. And there's always another music scene that you've never heard or a style that you've never heard of. So I even remember when we went to like Madagascar, we got exposed to Malagasy music and that whole style. And it ended up that, you know, we had a song called Malagasy Shock because our guitar player got electrocuted on stage out there. But that, that sound... And that music had already influenced us. And then we had like Street Signs, which was a, one of the records that definitely was influenced by North African music and Arabic music. Yeah, big time. Uh, I remember. You know, and then there was, uh, you know, you know, any one album I can point out things where I could be like, you know, that was from our trip to this or when we heard this kind of music or when we heard this kind of music, you know, Um yeah, so it, it definitely expanded our horizons musically. That's really cool. That's so much at once, too. So it's it's almost as if it was meant to be that big soup of information, you mm -hmm. know, take in and and where there there must have been similarities across the planet that were were like sound similarities that were uh, maybe um, unexpected things like that. I could imagine. Um, I have a question about staying healthy all this time with touring in the band. How do y'all do that? Cause um, I, I mean, you're all are relatively healthy people. I, <laughs> re relatively. I mean, in the sense of like, yeah, you know, we're, none of us have like, you know, um, well, you, you know, one thing for sure, um, um, the majority of the band is sober. So we went through that phase where, you know, certain substances definitely were, you know, destructive, you know, to, to the band and, uh, alcohol being one, one, one major one for sure, I, I would say, you know, and, um, so a lot of the band is sober. I'm probably one of the few guys that isn't sober because I, I still can have a glass of wine and, you know, drink and, and I definitely still puff, you know, but. You know, hard drugs wise, you know, I always kind of stayed away. Sure, I experimented with hard drugs and, you know, hallucinogenic, but it was never something that like kind of like 
I got hooked on or thought it necessary to function. So, um, you know, weed was just my thing, you know, and I just puffed it. And for the most part, I could function and do my sh- the show. And I wasn't fucking up because of it. So one thing for sure is, yes, like most of the band is sober. And the other thing is, too, is just like, you know, as you get older, you got to just take care of the machine better. And you, right. one of the, you know, one of the things that, you know, is pretty evident, even in just something obvious, is that like, you know, when we first started, there's a thing called a writer, which is all the stuff that like they put in the dressing room, you know? Yeah. So back in the day, you know, it's like very common to have like, you know, I had Jack Daniels on the writer and I would have all kinds of shit on the writer. And just, you know, nowadays it's like, it's all like healthy stuff, kombucha, fucking, you know, like the fancy cheeses and shit like that. You know, it's just like, it's just good food and good stuff that we put on the rider that way. It's true. You know, <laughs> it's like no, there's no sweets, there's no booze. You know, I mean, we do have sweets. We have dark chocolate on our rider, but you know what I mean? Like even just in that type of stuff, we, 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 we try to, you know, and, and, and now, especially now that we're older, you know, the grind of the road can, can definitely put a lot of stress in your body. So, you know, whereas before things like, Hey, maybe we should, you know, sleep a little bit before the gig, you know, <laughs> or, or travel a certain way that doesn't completely fuck up our sleep cycles. Right. You know, um, sure. Sometimes it still happens. Shit. Like last weekend we had two gigs in a row where we had to wake up at like three in the morning just to get to the next gig. Shit like that still happens. But you know, now more than ever, people are kind of like, yo, I got to go take a nap. I got to do this. I got to like take care of myself, you know, exercise. Some of the guys in the band exercise. Some I was just about to ask that actually. I mean, I remember, I remember a few times backstage as the Fillmore, um, Will Dog pulling out his phone. He's like, I'm going to go to yoga. And he'd like, flip through it real quick and try to find a class for the, like right then, uh, uh-huh. it, it, you know, it's like, I always loved seeing that happening and the, <laughs> there was always such an interesting dichotomy. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, yeah. You know, and people got into different kind of yoga or, you know, or, uh, you know, just working out in the gym, like just as a big workout guy is always, you know, um, uh, aren't you a black belt in something? Uh, yeah, um, I got my black belt in jujitsu like about nine. Um, it took me about 17, 18 years to get it. And I've been doing jujitsu now for like 19, 20 years, I guess. 19 since. So, yeah, since like. When did I start? It was around 2001, I want to say 2002. So, yeah, it's been like fucking 20 years. Yeah. So, so yeah, I've been. Well, that's even cool. Of course. With the with the pandemic and everything, it kind of you know fucked jujitsu up for a while. I'm I've 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 been starting to train again. I'm starting to like get into rolling again. Good, you know, just to get the awesome. thing going, and and not and not only just for the health, but also for the mental. You know, it, it it helps with any kind of anxiety that I have about whatever's going on in my life. You know. Yeah i I think that's a really good thing. I'm glad that a lot of you are exercising doing that. It, it seems to be part of probably part of why you've been able to stay together so long. You know, Maybe, it's like people yeah, are taking yeah, care yeah, of themselves yeah. and you know, did it, did that happen with age or did 
were some people already kind of into being healthy from the get-go? Um, maybe not from the get-get-go, but as, you know, the years went by and people get older, because you got to think, like, our, our oldest member, I want to say, is 52, and our, and our youngest member is 46. I'm the second youngest. I'm 47. So... You know, we're at that age, man, you know, that, that like, you gotta, you, like I said, you gotta take care of the machine, you know, cause I mean, not for nothing, you know, life is short, you know, and, and, uh, we gotta take advantage of every moment. And, it's, and, and if, if I'm going to be around, I'd rather be around in a healthy state, you know? Yeah. I mean, yeah, that is so important. And, uh, I just, you know, we've known each other so long and we didn't care for a really long time about being well, healthy who, at all. Well, who the fuck does? When no, you're, you're right. No, I know. Nobody <laughs> cares. It's like, yo, like, just give me all the drugs. Give me all the bad food. Give me all the I don't care. Staying up all night, you know, doing this, doing that. Everybody goes through, I think, a little bit of self-destructive behavior. For sure. Not everybody. Well, not everybody, but some are worse you know. than others. Yeah, of course. But, you know, being artists and musicians, it's very, very common. And, and, you know, I mean, you know, it's very common for musicians to like have substance abuse or dependency issues, you know? So it's not like, this is like, oh my God, you know, like, you know, this is more like the same old story with a lot, a lot of people. So, um, if anything, you know, we learned our lesson early on that we have to be able to take care of ourselves in right. a certain degree, you know? And, uh, I mean, we had already a member crunchy who passed away from colon cancer, like already about, it's probably been about maybe 15 years ago or something. Oh my like gosh. That, I'm sorry. Know? And I grew up with that guy. So, right. I mean, you know, sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really fucked up, you know, um, circumstance that he passed away so young from it, but it was definitely, you know, one of those things where it's like, yo, like, you gotta, you gotta watch yourselves and you gotta, like, take care of yourselves. It you was gotta, kind of a like, jolt for you? you know. Well, it wasn't necessarily a, a jolt for me in particular, but it was, you know, it was one of those things that, like, you know, um, a lot of people don't like going to the doctor, no. you know, you know, like, or, or, or knowing that, there might be something wrong with you. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to know. Um, um, you know, not for nothing. It's like, I, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm one of those people that now it's like, yo, I got it every year. I got to get my checkup. I got to get my blood work. I got to see what's going on with me, you know, to see if there's anything fucking kooky or anything weird or anything, whatever, you know? And, um, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just life, you know? And yeah, sure. Are there, are there people our age who still don't give a fuck? Sure. There is. Yeah. There's you know, a I lot. Know plenty of them that are, who are living, you know, hard and they're still living in the red, man. And they're still yeah. doing as much drugs as, you know, or drinking and, and partying <laughs> as much as anybody other 20 year old. But I, 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 you know, in the same way, like the, the career of the band, I, I, you know, I'm thinking longevity and I'm thinking like, I would like to be able to do jujitsu when I'm like in my late sixties still, like, or in my early seventies, I would like to still be able to like have a nice 
piece of cake and enjoy it, you know, and not have to worry about being diabetic, you know, which runs in my family. You know, it's really serious. So I have to like, you know, keep an eye on my sugar consumption. I have to make sure that, you know, like back in the day, like we said, you know, one of the first times I kind of got fat was, (laughs) was when we were like recording in these studios and they would stock up the fridges with just nothing but sodas, you know? And I used to be a mad soda addict and I used to fucking like easy, like in a session, it was easy to drink eight, nine sodas, you know, in a sitting because you're just sitting there and it's a sugar and it goes down so easy, that bite (laughs) of that first crack of the soda. And then you're just full of caffeine. And that's the thing with soda. It never really quenches your thirst. So you just keep drinking it and drinking it and drinking it. And shit, all of a sudden, oh, guess what? You just consumed about like a fucking, you know, uh, uh, a whole meal's worth of calories just in liquid, you know, (laughs) and sugar and the worst kind of calories too. So um, like I don't drink, I don't really drink like sugary drinks anymore, you know, and I try to like, you know, watch, try to watch what I eat. You know, of course I still like yummy food and things like that, but, (laughs) but you know. Um, less of it, just like less that, of it. You, know? you, you just know? less, less is more. Well, the thing is, is that like, I would like to be able to enjoy bad foods, even in my later age, right. where it's kind of like that once, a, once in a, in a while, be like, okay, I'm going to have that like super greasy burger or have it, you know, with soda or something. And then after that, go back to your routine of, of eating healthy, you know? Yeah. I think we should do this again sometime personally, because I have all kinds of questions just about just different stories that you have and all of that. Um, I'm particularly interested in all of this, like temples and stuff that you might've gone to, if you have any stories about them or um, temples. Cause you mentioned Nepal and India as a big part of your trips. Yeah. I mean, you know, that's the thing with in India and Nepal is, I mean, you just hit up nothing but temples, right? Like, <laughs> obviously, India being a place that birthed so many religious traditions. I mean, obviously, Hinduism being the major one, but also Buddhism, Jainism, you know, it, uh, Islam is definitely represented <clears throat> in India. Um, yeah, like, you know, you, you, you know, you see all this stuff. Um, one of the funnier, I think, moments was uh i was in nepal at this buddhist stupa and i i, I just I, there's actually a picture of me like hanging out on the top of it with this buddhist monk and we're just chatting away and shit and just talking and he was kind of bumming out on on chinese people it was kind of funny he was just like oh you know china and i was like oh. but i ended up i had this like whatever watch and I was just like, hey, you know, let me give you this watch, you know, that way you can know the time, homie. <laughs> and he, he like stood up and was like, oh, shit. And he, he, he took me. He's like, come here. Come on, let's go. And then he took me to meet the senior monk. What? Really? And this, Yeah. And this monk ended up like giving me special blessings for my life and my family. Awesome. I was like, okay, cool. You know, and then I, you know, I ended up giving them a little bit of money, you know, it's like kind of like a thing where you kind of like have to give them a donation for it or whatever. That was super, super cool. And then, um, 
Then the other kind of trippy cool thing too is that the day we landed in Nepal in uh, Kathmandu correlated exactly with the beginning of Shiva Ratri, which was oh my the god, Shiva, the big That's Shiva crazy. festival. So I don't, I, they're like, oh yeah, it's Shiva Ratri. I was like, well, what the fuck is that? And they're like, oh yeah, it's like like people from all over the country and in India come here to celebrate this shit. And, and not only that, but all consumption of cannabis is legal for that day. I was like, what? Like what? <laughs> Just like, the one day because Shiva's Shiva, the guy. Because, you know, Shiva. I, yeah. Cause she was, she was down for the herb, you know? So <laughs> I'm walking around and there was a special place. Like it was like a, a, a courtyard that they had res- reserved for the, for the sadhus, right? The holy people, the dudes, the like walk around, you know? And, you know, and they were all posted up there fucking smoking these huge chillums of, of herb. And I remember going in there and just like tripping out, like, whoa, like this is tough. And, you know, they're, they're like motioning me, like, come and join me, you know? And like, just like I ended up, I don't know who I ended up smoking with at that festival and just hanging out and just tripping out on the whole vibe because, you know, not only is it like this courtyard full of like holy men, um, you know, going off, the energy was already, but then it's like there's these huge speakers all over the city. They're just blasting chants and prayers. And then there's these funeral pyres all along the river of people who are like, you know, um, you know, so it was just like a surreal scene to be a part of that festival and to participate in it, you know, and, um, that one was definitely intense. It sounds uh, intense. That's so much at once. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, you know, um, you know, for a moment, in college, I was a religious studies major. So, I mean, just to be exposed to all this stuff was like a huge treat to me. And, you know, these are the areas where like basically, you know, Buddhism started in, you know, and uh, spread. And, you know, so I, I had a blast uh, being exposed to all this stuff and seeing it for myself. And, um, you know, I, 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 pretty much in all these different places, you know, like Myanmar, Burma, I got to see one of the biggest, like, you know, like, uh, stupa, Buddhist stupas there. Um, probably one of the coolest things of the city right there. Um, and then, you know, just being exposed to just what people believe in and what people, what motivates their lives, what gives them direction you know, whether or not I agree with it or not, you know, it's just, it was, it's, it's that kind of thing, you know? What is it about other people's beliefs? You know, like, it's like seeing that human spark in them. It's like that, is that 
what what is the the draw? I'm just curious because I have the same thing. Like I really I love when people are, you know, going after their their the thing they believe in. Like it's so like it makes me feel so good. I don't even care what it is. So <laughs> so I'm just curious. You know, like what did you it, it, whatever it, you know because at the end of the day it's what gives people direction and meaning in their life. You because know? you could see the meaning uh, that it drew them. Yeah, and, and, and awesome. not only that, but it gives them answers to questions that we maybe might never be answered, you know? Um, what happens after you die? What, what does it all mean? Why are you even here? Like, these huge philosophical questions that, you know, we constantly are wrestling with and grappling with is that, you know, it, it, where, depending on what place of the world you are, there's a philosophy or a religion that is trying to placate those people and give them answers. So like I said, whether I believe in it or not, I have to respect that this is what these people are, are looking towards for their answers, you know, for their, for their meaning, for their direction, you know, um, whether You're... I'm in some Buddhist temple in Nepal or whether if I'm in Italy in the fucking Vatican or wherever the fuck I am, you know, this is what is driving um, people, you know, and, um, um, or whether it's not even any kind of religious, you know, experience, whether it's just a human experience or seeing something that like, you know, blows you away in a certain spiritual way that it's not even connected to any religion, you know, that that's happened too before, you know, and, um, or being in Cuba and seeing like ceremonies where, People, you know, take on this, the spirit of the Orisha, become, you know, become the Orisha. They let you into the ceremonies? You've seen that firsthand? Yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, awesome. I've seen that, like, where it's like, you know, like, you see um, someone take the spirit and, you know, I mean, for lack of a better word, become, I guess, possessed or become the vehicle for that, that, that spirit. So, I mean, you know, you, you, it, it, it's crazy. You know, human beings, we're, we're, we're nuts, man. We're really fucking nuts. <laughs> your view, your view is uncommon though. It's like, but, um, it's like the, that you want to see it and you're open to the fact that it's important to the other group. It, it, the, more and more people are coming towards that idea, but they can't actually hold it. And you're someone that's been around the world and you're like, it's a very it's a, it rings true to you because you see it it's very yeah, interesting and also and the other thing is that like i have to like let go of cynicism in a certain way because it's yeah. like sure all these all these things i could at, at the end of the day i could be like man it's all this bullshit you know what i mean <laughs> you, know, like, you know because you know i mean you've known me long enough where i mean i had a really cynical view of religion and i had a really cynical view of christianity uh, growing up, especially when people were trying to shove it down my throat, and and well, you now, have one of my favorite stories from high school. Yeah, like, but but now I'm kind of like, I don't know if it's like just because I've gotten older and I kind of understand people's motivations a little bit more, or just what what it means to them. You know, what it maybe you know again gives them answers, directions, you know, whatever. It's like at the end of the day whether or not it's an illusion or whether or not it's bullshit, it means something to somebody. So I guess it's not bullshit. I guess it's something to something to somebody, I should say that, 
gives them something that I couldn't give them. So, um, do you know what made you switch? No. The Mm -hmm. cynicism? Do you know, did something happen that made you see it in a different way? Because you said you had to let go of it. It just over time. Let go of it. I think it's over time where you just kind of just like, you know, it's like, at the end of the, as, you know, when it comes down to it, it's like, even let's say we're arguing about religion and I say something that completely shatters your whole fucking thing, you know, <laughs> as, you know, most of the time as human beings, we're just going to double down. We're just going to be like, no, fuck you. You're wrong. You know, like, even if I told you straight up that what you might be believing is is complete horseshit, Right. But I, I'm realizing that that's not the strategy. You know what I mean? That's not like how you get to people or maybe, maybe try to convince them to change their minds. You know what I mean? Cause they're going to double down and they're just going to be like, no, you know? So I guess just in that, whether, whether it, you know, and it's usually religion, politics, philosophy that where this type of thing happens because you're talking about people's whole view of life and what is right and wrong. You know what I mean? And that's the thing that I'm realizing too, is that like sometimes when I would attack somebody's religion or views, they see it as an attack on what is right and wrong, you know, like, Oh yeah. You know, kind of like when I used to argue with Jehovah witnesses or some shit like that, it's like, Oh, well, if you're against me, you must be down for the devil type shit, you know, like, and that's not necessarily my intention. It was more kind of like, well, can you see the hypocrisy or maybe the, the certain aspects, how oxymoronic certain things in the dogma can be? They didn't see it that way. They saw it as more as an attack on their worldview and their, their morals or what they consider right or wrong. Well, because so they have, have an identification. Like, you know, realize that, you know. Hmm? Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt, interrupt you. What were you saying? You had to realize? I didn't hear you. Oh, I was saying that they have identified with it. So it's such a big part of their identity that they're tied. It's almost like it's tied in in a way where they're scared to cut that little bit loose in, in order to see that whatever it is could be expanded upon. It doesn't, it's like, that's one of the things that I find so interesting about spirituality and consciousness and all of that right now is Most people just want the same thing. They have their own specific perspective on all of it. And a lot of times don't really want to expand on it because they feel like expanding on it is saying the past is bad and it's not a growth thing. So it's almost as if they Mm -hmm. can't cut that, that little bit loose in order to see that it brought them to a particular place that they're growing from. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing. It's like those people got to see it themselves. Oh yeah, totally. Got to deal with it themselves in a certain way, because it's like I know plenty of people that religion has stifled them. I, I mean, I'm just honest. Like honestly, I feel like it, it, it's it stifled their life from experiencing certain things, from enjoying certain things. Because why? Because all oh, that thing is the devil or this or that. It's like yo, like wow, we're really gonna be there. But at the same time, it's like, that's where they're at. And that's where, you know, how they see life. And so it's kind of hard for me to like, try to convince them of, of, of something else, you know? Um, so, you know, at this point, it's like, 
uh, I'm kind of through arguing unless you like kind of really throw it in my face and, and want to like actually kind of have like a debate about religion or whatever. I don't engage in those type of debates anymore with people about like, you know, whether what they believe in is the one thing that is the one, you know, that is, you know, cause like, let's face it. How many religions has there been in the world since the beginning of man? Probably hundreds of thousands. Right. I mean, just look at Christianity and how many offshoots that shit has already, you know, like thousands. Right. And they can't even agree with. Each other. So, um, you know, like, like, fuck, you know, like whatever people do is what people kind of are going to do. Um, I'm kind of reminded of this story that I remember hearing about um, supposedly like two different dudes came to see like the Buddha and one of them was a, a, a big time, um, I guess, uh, devotee to a particular Hindu God. And then Buddha, he asked the Buddha, so like, is this real? Is, are, is God real? And, and Buddha was like, nah, it's all bullshit. And, and he walked away all tripped out. And then a hardcore atheist. You've and caught, like, you broke up. Wait. Real. And then Buddha was like, well, fuck yeah, he's real. Oh, okay. I got you. Hear me? Hello, hello, hello. Hear I got me? you. Hello. Just okay. repeat so from. The guy, so the second yeah. guy should, what, what part, what part did you miss? That part where you're about to start in right now. Oh, okay. So the, so the second guy shows up and he's like a hardcore atheist and he's like, well, is God real? And the Buddha's like, fuck yeah, he is. So there was a, 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 um, a monk near the Buddha that was kind of like, well, which one is it, dude? You know, like you fucking just, I just saw you give contradictory messages to these folks, to these dudes. Like, well, what is it? And his whole thing was just like, well, each of those messages were, 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 were catered to the individual. One of them was so sure that it existed that he didn't see any other possibility that I told him it didn't exist. That way he could, could look outside his circle for other answers. And the other one was so sure in, in, in that it didn't exist that I told him it existed. That way he could question his own doubt. So, uh, you know, it's, it's kind of like that, the way I kind of see it now. It's like, you know, I mean, it, uh, you know, if you ask me if God exists or anything, I would ask you like, well, let's define God first and let's define this. And let's like, what do you mean by what you mean? You know, I love it. Maybe I might agree with you. Maybe I won't. Maybe I won't. But maybe I might, you know. Um, so it's, 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 it's a trip. It's a trip, you know. But we've definitely been all around the world and have experienced, you know, every kind of belief that you could think of shit. I remember one time in Cuba, there was this dude that rolled up on us and we were talking. And then the dude was kind of like, I deal in the black arts, <laughs> like, you know, like evil shit, like devil shit. Now, and I think he was trying to kind of freak me out a little bit. And I was like, really? Whoa. I was like, trip out. And then I said something to the effect of like, isn't it crazy though that how sometimes bad things, evil things can, can actually birth really good things, you know, like things that might happen that are bad, but then the consequences of that bad thing make things better for all of us, you know, you know, like whether whatever you want to kind of examples you want to use in life that like, you know, 
And sometimes, you know, like they say, sometimes bad shit, you know, the, you know, the, you know, the road to evil is sometimes, you know, paved with the best intentions, you know, yeah. everybody has the best intentions and sometimes it doesn't work out. Sometimes it does, but these things are constantly feeding each other. So he was just kind of tripped out by that. He was like, yeah, you're right. You know, like sometimes like I'll do like an evil spell on somebody, but then it ends up like working out for whatever. I was just like, okay, trip out. eh?" you know, like, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. The things that motivate us as human beings, you know, it is crazy. You're right. Um, I, I mean, a lot of the bad things I would quote, I don't like using bad or good, like, but all of the more mm-hmm. challenging experiences that I've had uh, I've, have given me more, um, more growth than mm-hmm. all of the other things. Do you wow. know what I'm saying? You know, um, my, my computer just did something weird. I had to move the screen. Um, I don't want to really get into it, but with all of the death in my family and stuff like that, like I've had to really overcome a lot of stuff really quickly. And I've learned mm-hmm. more from that than, you know, getting my art anywhere or any of that. And so, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess that's fairly obvious, but at the same time, I don't think people realize the, the depth of what you can learn from something that you perceive as a negative experience. Right. Because they're looking, oftentimes it's a perspective thing. I see this as a bad thing, Mm -hmm. so it can't have any good parts to it. It's really interesting. Mm -hmm. that um, I see more and more people coming to that understanding. Because that's like the basis of all of the consciousness work that I do is that. Like, I don't even call it spiritual work anymore, but... Whatever experience it is, like it's how you take it yeah and 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 um i mean i i agree with that you know like there are those times in life though that things happen where it's like man how can i find anything positive about the shit you know like <laughs> i don't think i can maybe there is something deep 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 inside that i can come out as a lesson but i guess that's the challenge you know or time like find that thing or letting it be for a while and then coming back to true. it. That one, true, I think, true, true. Um, is those things that we spend so much time trying to figure out that we just can't figure out. Um, putting them aside for me has been valuable because going back to them, they've kind of organized themselves based on experiences that I had after whatever that was. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah. It's, but, you know... Um, I'm happy to be alive. I'm happy to be here with all my friends. I'm happy that you're still in my life. And, uh, Agreed. Cause thing, <laughs> you know, cause that's the thing, you know, like friends and people around you that you love, you know, are so valuable that, you know, as we get older, it is harder to make friends too. You know, it's like, you got to keep the ones that you got near you and, and connected. And because, um, nothing is guaranteed in life. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed. So if anything, you know, whether I'm here or not tomorrow, at least I'll leave a great memory for the people who love me, you know? Yeah, totally. Is there a message that you would like to 
put out there right now, like just something off the top of your head that you think would be helpful for perhaps younger listeners, people in their 20s? It doesn't have to be to young people, but it's just what I thought of. I mean, as far as just like, like uh, career in music or just life in general? Anything that you, that comes up because like, I mean, for you, you have, first of all, you're very inspiring the things that you, your opinions that you've shared with me and, and your experiences um, just as, on your own in the band and all music, that. As far as music and the arts, the one thing I tell kids nowadays, because uh, I don't, I don't want to be like life advice overall. Cause that's like, no, no. Yeah. Applicable, relatable. Let's let's just say let's just say music. Fuck it, just straight up music. Okay. You know? I tell kids this shit nowadays. I say, I say this. I, I say, are you in this just to make money, like to get rich, get some bucks, and drive around in Bentleys? And if they tell me yeah, I say, you know what? Maybe you shouldn't do music then, because. If it's all about the money and if it's all about you get chasing paper, then pick a different profession, dude, because music is a huge gamble to, for that. And if you really all about money, then like maybe you should go into accounting or real estate or be a doctor or whatever the fuck else that you know you're going to get money. If music is something you cannot see yourself not doing if it drives you to the passion that you don't give a fuck if you eat cup of noodles for six months straight and you're ready to like fight in the trenches for your ideas for your art for whatever's ready to take a big bite of the shit sandwich for your art and for music then fucking do it then do it if you're ready to like like if if money is not your motivation and 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 it's really just about you love this and you can't see yourself doing anything else then do it you know that's what i usually tell kids nowadays about music because not for nothing you know being a younger artist and being a band it's so much harder i see it as an older person nowadays and in, in certain ways in certain ways it in certain ways there's certain things about nowadays that are fucking cool i think like one being that back in our days in the mid 90s it was always about getting signed about having that distribution about you know you needed the machine to get your message out nowadays it's like there is that possibility of you blowing up on youtube or becoming yeah. uh you know uh, um popular or, or gain a huge fan base without the machine, which back in the day was really kind of unheard of. But the flip of it is that there's so much stuff out there and you could totally get lost in the void that, you know, you might just be releasing music into this void and never get any kind of feedback or get no backup or, know nothing that it, it, it is a gamble you know and and it, and um especially with how labels treat younger artists the way they give deals nowadays where record labels basically want a piece of everything you have where 
back in the day, it was like, no, you can't have a piece of that. That's the band. That's sacred. You can't, you can't touch our merch money. You can't touch our publishing money. Like what? Nowadays, like labels want all this stuff, what they call 360 deals. So it's way different. And um, that's why it, it's, you know, where maybe back in my day, you know, you could be an artist and have something going. And it's like, you know, here today, gone tomorrow, right? Well, nowadays, it feels like with a lot of these artists, it's like here today, gone later in the afternoon. You know? <laughs> it's true. Like, like, <laughs> like the, the, sh- the shelf life of artists and the way things happen, like how many people, I, I could tell you like, you know, four or five artists in just top of my head where it's like, they had a huge song for the summer or it felt like they were blowing the fuck up. And then now it's just like the, 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 the industry is basically sucked all the life out of them and used them. And then now that's it. You know, um, the good thing with us is that we've have this reputation of having this amazing live show, regardless of any kind of commercial success or lack of it that we've ever had as a band. We have this amazing live show that has been able to translate and has set up a reputation for us. So where people go like, oh, Ozo Motley. Oh, yeah, they put on a great show. We're going to have fun. Go, let's go see them. And that's kept the boat afloat for many, many years, you know, and um, thankfully, we still have that reputation. And thankfully, we still have a lot of fans who are willing to come out to see the shows and we're, we're, we're every day. I'm thankful and appreciative of, of all that. That's yeah. It's awesome. Um, it, the, the live show thing that you just mentioned, you know, the end where you go out into the crowd and all of that, that is very, you guys, mm-hmm. it's very, you guys. Like, I, I mean, I've seen bands try and do something like that before and it's no, <laughs> it doesn't really work. And um, do you think you've been doing that since the beginning, right? Not straight up the beginning. Actually, it's funny because that whole thing with people who are listening to this, just, you know, what Fern's talking about is that at the end of the show, we usually go into the crowd and do a whole like samba thing, drum thing to like, kind of like just be one with the audience. But the roots of that were more based on being competitive. And what it was is that we used to have i used to be in another band called yeska and I remember. We, would, we would uh yeska and ozo motley would sometimes play at the vibe room together so i was like in both bands so i was like ah whatever i'm good but there was this little bit of a rivalry going on and one night yeska kind of blew ozo motley out of the water that night and will dog and justin were really fucking like on some like what are we gonna do to get them back and they, they thought about this whole thing that we would do a procession onto the stage and then off the stage. And from those kind of like more competitive kind of like, we're going to fuck them up on stage from those roots, it turned into more kind of like, Oh, more of like, you know, we're breaking down the barriers between performance performers and audience, you know, now everybody were one. And then not for nothing, we lead, the, we lead everybody to the merch table and, you know, hopefully somebody buys a t-shirt and then we stand around there after the thing and we, you know, take pictures, talk to people, sign stuff. 
we're really, you know, approachable and, um, you know, whereas most artists like right after the show, they're headed right straight back to the back. Oh, absolutely. They, they're boom, boom, boom. Yeah. Uh, which is We're not, I, which I totally understand. They they've just mm-hmm. done so much, and I'm not saying that in a bad way, um, but y- y'all just kind of added this extra thing that I mean, you. Some people, some some people have even said we're too accessible. We're like, dude, like anybody could just come up to you and like, oh, I guess we are. But for me, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with with you know people realizing that I'm just as human as they are. I'm not. I know that certain artists need that illusion of like, like, you know, like I'm space, you know what I'm saying? Like, 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 you know, after the show, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm just going to go sit in my room in the dark. Like, like maybe they need that mystique. And I understand that because there's plenty of artists that I follow that are kind of like that, you know, where it's like, they're not about like signing shit for everybody after the show they're not about shaking everybody's fucking hand. They're about like, they have a mystique and they have a mystery to them that is part of their whole persona. Yeah. But I'm just not like that. That's not me. And I've never been me. So it doesn't seem like anybody you know, in the band is like that. Huh? It seems, it doesn't seem like anybody in the band is like that. Y'all seem like you no, want to no, like hang out no. on the floor. Yeah. And, and you know, not for nothing growing up, there were, you know, there were definitely bands like you know, like even like a band like Fugazi back in the day, you know, like the whole idea of them charging only six bucks for the shows, making their recordings cheap. I remember I wrote to them and they wrote back to me. Totally. They were, you know, yeah. that, that, that kind of like vibe really influenced me because I was like, that's the kind of band or musician I want to be. That's not shining people when they come up to you. Like you got to be on some ridiculously annoying, drunk asshole shit for me to be like, yo, you got to fuck off, you know, <laughs> like even drunk people who are a little sloppy. I'm okay with that. Like, fuck it. Let's take a picture, homie. Like, like you have to be super, super like annoying for me to kind of like be like, put my hand be like, all right, fuck off. Besides that, the way I see it is that the fans and the people are your boss. They're the ones who are paying your bills. They're the ones who have been supporting you through all these, all these years. So if they want to fucking take a picture, they want some shit signed. I better fucking do it, you know, and I better do it with a smile because they're the ones who are keeping me able to play music. I'm blowing into a big piece of metal on stage and I'm able to pay the bills because of these people. So. That's, That's awesome. I, I, I love that. And you know who else has that kind of idea are the comedians. Comedians do that. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. e- even the bigger ones are, are still doing that. And they say it for the same reason. So I, um, I, I really admire that when, it, when artists can, you know, still stand there and talk to people. But I also understand the people that need their space. Like, I feel like all of this is part of just having the arts that are in the world. It, yeah, you sure. need every mm-hmm. angle in order for it right. to ha- to shine. Like all of the parts have to be apparent. And if we didn't have people that had mm-hmm. to be reclusive, we wouldn't have people that everybody could hang out with. Like, it's just like, I feel like the dichotomy is mm-hmm. very important. Um, 
So I want to thank you right, so much right, for talking right. with me today. I really well, appreciate you. it. This, maybe this is be a part two later uh, if you want. It's all good, you know, but thank you to everybody out there. People who want to check out Ozomotli, you know, we're on every single social media uh, platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, uh, yeah. TikTok, even though we're not as active as we should be on TikTok, but we're on there. And of course, Ozomotli.com. If you, uh, you know, we'll be playing near a town by you, you know, so. Which you will be soon enough. Yep. 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 So, so thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There, people who supported us. Thank you for the interview. Yeah, I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. All right. right, Bye-bye. Bye. All righty. That's the end of our show. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe everywhere you find podcasts and visit Farron on her website, farron.me. You can also find us on social media, TikTok, YouTube, and Instagram, Mystic Farron, so it's mystic underscore fairn and hungry for apples podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Bye now.